ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Glory to praise belongs to Allah. We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness. We seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray. And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. I'd like to begin this evening in our 10th lecture in the course Fiqh al-Hadith based upon the book of Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman al-Bassam Hafidahullah Taysir al-Allam the Shah of Umdat al-Ahkam. Uh, we began last week in lecture number 9, Bab Salat al-Khusuf, the chapter concerning the prayer for the eclipse, the eclipse of the sun or the moon. And we mentioned uh, two, the first two hadiths in that chapter after the introduction from the Shaykh concerning some of the important points related to the issue of al-Khusuf, the eclipse of the sun or the moon, the causes for it and the wisdom behind it. The first hadith that we mentioned was hadith number 143, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, anna al-shamsa khasafat ala ahdi rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that the sun was eclipsed. It is mentioned by Aisha radiallahu anha that the sun was eclipsed in the lifetime or in the era of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, فَبَعَثَ مُنَادِيًا يُنَادِي Then he sent a caller to call out الصَّلَاةَ جَامِعَةً The salat should be performed in congregation. فَاجْتَمَعُوا So the people gathered فَتَقَدَّمَ فَكَبَّرَ وَصَلَّ أَرْبَعَ رَكَعَاتِ فِي رَكَعَاتِينِ وَأَرْبَعَ سَجَدَاتِ So the Prophet stepped forward in front of the people uh, and he made takbir and he led the people in prayer making four bowings and four prostrations in two rakah and each rakah two bowings and one prostration or two bowings and two prostrations uh, concerning this hadith the shaykh mentioned a number of points that are derived from it that which may be extracted from this hadith, he said, number one, the eclipse of the sun took place in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah wasallam. Number two, that it is mustahab or commendable to perform the salat or this salat at the time of an eclipse. And it has been transmitted from Al-Imam Al-Nawi, rahimahullah, that there is consensus or ijma'ah that the Salat al-Khusuf it is 
and some said sunnah mu'akkada and there is some discussion concerning this particular point as Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah said if not for this claim of consensus we would have said that it is obligatory because in some of the narrations of the hadith the Prophet ﷺ said that if you see this happening if you see this taking place إِذَا رَأَيْتُمْ إِذَا رَأَيْتُمْ ذَلِكْ فَصَلُّوا then he ordered us to pray so from this we can understand perhaps that the order to pray indicates obligation yet Imam al-Shawkani said the reason why we refrain from declaring the salat to be obligatory is because of the fact that there is a consensus or ijma transmitted uh, from the Muslim scholars that it is sunnah number three the legislation of gathering for this prayer in order to humbly submit ourselves in, in worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala supplicating him uh, and hastening to make tawbah repentance and istighfar seeking his forgiveness because the cause or the reason for the khusuf, the eclipse, is due to the sins of the people. Therefore, the people should hasten to repentance and seeking Allah's forgiveness and calling on Him. Number four, that for this salat there is no adhan, no iqama, but simply the caller should call out as salat jami'ah. Number five, that yani the salat should be performed in congregation. Number five, that salat al khusuf contains four bowings and four prostrations and the details concerning this inshallah will come in the hadith that we will take today uh, the second hadith that we took last week is hadith number 144 <coughs> the hadith of Abu Masaud radiallahu anhu Abu Masaud Uqba ibn Amir al-Ansari that verily the sun and the moon they are two of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala يُخَوِّفُ اللَّهُ بِهِمَا عِبَادَةً and Allah causes fear to enter upon his, his slaves or his servants due to the signs the sign of the sun and the moon or the eclipse of the sun and the moon وَإِنَّهُمَا لَا يَنْكَسِفَانِ لِمَوْتِ أَحَدٍ مِنَ النَّاسِ وَلَا لِحَيَاتِ and verily these two the sun and the moon are not eclipsed due to the death of anyone of the people nor to the birth of anyone فَإِذَا رَأَيْتُمْ مِنْهُمَا شَيْئًا فَصَلُّوا حَتَّى يَنْكَشِفْ مَا بِكُمْ so if you see anything from this يعني the eclipse of the sun or the moon فَصَلُّوا then you are ordered to pray وَدْعُوا and to supplicate حَتَّى يَنْكَشِفَ مَا بِكُمْ until that which has happened or that which has come upon you until it is finished and until it passes by here the shaykh mentioned in this hadith the first of them is that it's legislated at the time of the eclipse of the sun or moon to make salat as well as to supplicate Allah at the time of the eclipse turning back to Allah and asking for his mercy number two that the end of the time of the salat and the period of the time of the salat ends when the eclipse ends and when the sun or the moon reappears uh, so if the salat is finished and the eclipse continues if the imam finishes the salat while the e- eclipse has not yet finished then 
should continue in submission, calling on Allah, uh, supplicating Him, praising and glorifying Him until the eclipse is completed and the sun or the moon reappears. Since there is no narration or report that suggests or indicates that the prayer may be repeated. And if the Imam finishes the prayer before the eclipse is finished, then he should simply continue calling on Allah, praising Allah, supplicating Him, etc. in humility uh, and not to repeat the prayer. Number three, the apparent the obvious meaning of this hadith or the understanding from the wording of the hadith is that if the time of the eclipse, if it takes place at a time when it, when it is prohibited to perform prayers, still it should be performed. And this is the most correct opinion of the scholars, although some of them said that if an eclipse occurs at a, t- at a prohibited time, then the people should merely supplicate Allah uh, and ask for His forgiveness and so on without making salat. But the most correct opinion is that the prayer should be performed as this prayer is one of those types of prayers which have a cause or a reason. And if that cause or that reason is present, then the prayer should be performed even in a prohibited time. And if a person has to make istikhara, even in a prohibited time, they may make it. Even if it's in a prohibited time, they may make it and so on. Any other prayer that has a cause or a reason. The last thing the Shaykh says is that the wisdom uh, for which Allah brings about the eclipse of the sun and the moon it is to put fear into the hearts of the people and to warn them of the punishment of Allah and to awaken or move the hearts of those who are unmindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also to give the people a glimpse of a sample or a sample of what would take place on the day of resurrection. Tonight, the hadith we will take also to the first hadith, the hadith number 145, and let me just mention here so that I don't forget that the hadith concerning Salat al Khusuf or Salat al Khusuf with Kaf or Kha uh, are many, and we are only taking four hadith, and as we said on many occasions, Umdat al Ahkam is a summarized book of Ahkam. It doesn't include all the hadith related to the laws, but it is a summary. Mukhtasa, summarized version of the hadith containing the laws and rules related to matters of worship and otherwise. If you look in the Sahih of al-Bukhari, you will find that the hadith concerning Salat al-Khusuf, there are 26 hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari alone. And in Sahih Muslim, 29 hadith. We are only taking four from amongst those hadith. So it shows you that uh, the hadith which we are taking only a few and there are many, many more. If anybody didn't get the handout from last week, this is number nine. And this is from tonight. The hadith in Sahih Muslim are found in volume two. Why is it found? Page four, twenty-six to four thirty-four. The hadith number uh, 1995 or 1966 to 1995 and the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari are also found in volume 2 from page 101 to 116 hadith number 1040 to 1066 so this hadith may be reviewed for further reference since the number of hadith we have taken are very few it is good that we look at those hadith in Bukhari and Muslim which might give us further details. Alhamdulillah. Uh, 
The first hadith of tonight is hadith number 145, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. She said, خَطَفَتْ الشَّمْسِ عَلَىٰ أَهْدِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَىٰ عَلَىٰ وَسَلَّمُ That the sun was eclipsed in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم. فَقَامَ فَصَلَّى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم بِالنَّاسِ فَأَطَالَ الْقِيَامِ The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم therefore stood up and he led the people in prayer. And he made the qiyam, the standing, in the beginning, in the first rakah of the prayer, he made the standing very long. Atala al-qiyam. And the recitation was very, very long. Thumma raka'a fa'atala al-ruku. Then he made ruku, bowing, and he also made the ruku very, very long. And some of the uh, reports indicate that it was similar in length to the qiyam. Thumma qama. Then he rose up again to the standing position and he stood for a long time. But that standing was less than the first standing. This is still the first rakah. One standing, then bowing, then he stood back up and stood again for a long time reciting the Quran. But the second standing was less than, not as long as the first standing. Then he bowed again for the second time and he made a long ruku, but it was not as long as the first ruku. All of this is still in the first sujood. Then he prostrated and he made the sujood very, very long and some of the reports indicated that the sujood was nearly equal to the bowing in length. في الركعة الأخرى أو الركعة الثانية مثل ما فعل في الركعة الأولى أو في الأولى. Then he did likewise, just like he did in the first rakah, he similarly did in the second rakah. Except that everything was shorter, the standing or bowing or prostrating was shorter than the previous one. ثم انصرف وقد انجلت أو أو تجلت الشمس فَخَطَبَ النَّاسِ فَحَمِدَ اللَّهُ وَأَثْنَى عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ قَالَ Then the Prophet ﷺ left from the prayer, he got up from the prayer, and the sun had reappeared, the eclipse had ended. So he gave a speech to the people, first praising Allah and glorifying Him. And then he said, إِنَّ الشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرَ آيَتَانِ مِنْ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ That verily the sun and the moon, are two of the signs of Allah. لا تنخسفان لموت أحد ولا لأحياته. They do not become eclipsed due to the death of anyone, nor due to the birth of anyone. فإذا رأيتم ذلك فدعوا الله. Or in some of the narrations, فذكروا الله. So if you, anyone sees this taking place, the eclipse of the sun or the moon, they should supplicate or they must supplicate Allah or praise Allah. وَكَبَّرُوا وَصَلُّوا وَتَصَدَّقُوا And they should also glorify Allah, saying Allahu Akbar. And they should صَلُّوا make salat, And they should تَصَدَّقُوا Give in charity. Yani whoever sees this take place, the eclipse of the sun and the moon, the Prophet ﷺ ordered us, فَإِذَا رَأَيْتُمْ ذَلَكَ فَدُعُوا اللَّهِ Then supplicate to Allah. وَكَبِّرُوا And glorify Allah, exalting Allah by saying Allahu Akbar, Allah is the greatest. وَصَلُّوا and perform the salat وَتَصَدَّقُوا and give charity. 
ثم قال then the Prophet went on in his khutbah or his speech to the people and he said Ya Ummata Muhammad O Ummah followers of Muhammad Wallahi Ma min ahadin aghyaru min Allahi subhanahu minan yazniya abduhu aw tazniya amatuhu He said I swear by Allah that no one has more ghayra than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the one or due to one of his male slaves who commits fornication or one of his female slaves or servants who commits fornication yani that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is angered due to the violation of his laws Allah is angered by it and no one has more ghayra and ghayra in reference to the human being is the sense of honor or prestige that a person feels angered due to the violation of it and whoever violates Allah's law Allah is also angered by it. Then he said, Ya Ummat al-Muhammad, Wallahi, Law ta'alamuna ma a'lamu ladahabtum qalila wa labakaytum kathira. He said again, I swear by Allah, O followers of Muhammad, I swear by Allah, if you knew that which I know, concerning how severe is the punishment of Allah, if you knew what I know, then you would have laughed little and cried much. And in some of the narrations in Bukhari or Muslim, it is reported that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was performing that prayer, that he stepped forward and that he stepped backwards and the people also stepped forward and backwards with him. And they asked him after the prayer, what was he doing? He said that he saw everything that we, should, that we would see, including the paradise and the hellfire. And when he saw the paradise, he wanted to reach and take some bunch of grapes from the paradise. And then he saw the hellfire and he backed up from the hellfire. And he said it was a terrible sight. It was more terrible than anything that anyone can imagine. And therefore he said, لَوْ تَعْلَمُونَ مَا أَعْلَمُوا If you all know what I know concerning the punishment of Allah, how severe it is. لَا تَحَقْتُمْ قَلِيلًا وَلَا بَخِيْتُمْ كَثِيرًا Then you would have laughed little. We wouldn't be so merriest, but we would be fearing the punishment of Allah. And we would be crying much. In some of the narrations as reported in Al-Bukhari, uh, he says فَاسْتَكْمَلَ أَرْبَعَ رَكَعَاتِ وَأَرْبَعَ سَجَدَاتِ So he completed the prayer with four bowings and four prostrations يعني in two rakah four bowings and four prostrations two bowings in each rakah instead of one as in the normal salat and this is this narration is also reported in Al-Bukhari Volume 2, page 104, Hadith number 1046, in the new printing of the English translation of Sahih al-Bukhari, published by At-Tabar al-Salam. Which I, I, I prefer to refer to this edition, this printing, due to the fact that the numbering in the new printing of al-Bukhari coincides and corresponds with the numbering in the Arabic edition of Fat al-Bari, the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari. So it is very convenient that it is easy to trace the numbers from the Arabic to the English text in the new printing of Al-Bukhari by Maktab al Salam. Uh, here the Shaykh, Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman al-Bassam, Hafidahullah, says the general meaning of this hadith is that the sun was eclipsed in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi So he went, he stood up in front of the people and led them in prayer and he made his qiyam very long to the extent that the length of it was equal to the length of time that one would take to read Surah Al-Baqarah. The standing 
the first standing was equal in length to the length of time that one would take to recite Surah Al-Baqarah. And this is not actually mentioned in this narration, but it's mentioned in another narration in Al-Bukhari in Hadith number 1052. And I think it's mentioned under the extra Hadith uh, where it is reported فَقَامَ قِيَامًا طَوِيلًا that he stood up a long standing نَحْوَ مِنْ كِرَاعَةِ Surah Al-Baqarah equal to the length of reading Surah Al-Baqarah so the Shaykh took from that narration this particular point that the standing was very long and it was similar in length to the length of time that one would recite Surah Al-Baqarah which is approximately two and a half juz or two and a half thirtieth of Qur'an ثم ركع فطال الركوع then he bowed and he made the ruku very long and then he stood up and he said سمع الله لمن حمده ربنا ولك الحمد and this is also reported in some of the other narrations of the hadith not in this particular narration but in Bukhari and Muslim it is reported like this also then he read a long reading and he after standing and bowing and standing and back standing back up saying سمع الله لمن حمده ربنا لك الحمد then he stood a long time again, reading a long time, but that standing and reading was not quite as long as the first standing. Then he bowed and he made the bowing very long, but it was less than the first bowing. Then he said, And he stood up again. This was two standings and two bowings. After standing up for the third time, he prostrated and he made a long prostration and he did the same thing in this rakah he did in the next rakah until he completed the prayer two rakah including four bowings and four prostrations then he left from the salat and the sun uh, had reappeared the eclipse was finished and he gave a khutbah to the people praising Allah and glorifying him and here the Shaykh mentions, as reported in some of the narrations of the Hadith in Al-Bukhari, and it is inc- included in the extra Hadith because it's not in the text of the book. Here is, it is the Shaykh mentions that it happened that when this eclipse took place, it was the same day of the death of the son of the Prophet Muhammad sallam, his son Ibrahim. So some of the people, when they saw this eclipse taking place, in coincidence with the death of the son of the Prophet sallam, they said the sun has eclipsed due to the death of Ibrahim. And this was in agreement or in accordance with the understanding of the people in Jahiliyyah that if an eclipse took place, it was due to the death or the birth of some great person. The Prophet wasallam, due to his desire to advise the people and his sincerity in delivering the message and benefiting the whole of creation, and to remove the ignorance and superstitions that the people were subjected to especially those superstitions that have no basis in the revelation of Quran or in the Sunnah nor in sound reasoning due to his desire to correct these mistakes and superstitions from the people the Prophet stood up after coming to know that the people were claiming that the eclipse took place due to the death of his son instead of taking advantage of it and glorifying himself for the fact that Allah caused an eclipse for the death of his son to show how great he was he corrected the people instead and announced to them the truth of the matter is that the sun and the moon are two of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are not eclipsed 
due to the death of anyone nor to the birth of anyone but in fact they take place due to to show the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to put fear into the hearts of the believers and to remind them of Allah's bounty to them and these signs are to make us to reflect on our condition and to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we have been neglectful and unmindful and turn back to Allah fearing his punishment and correcting ourselves, repenting to him and correcting our lives the Prophet ﷺ then said, if anyone of you sees such a thing, then he should hasten to repent, to turn back to Allah, and he should call on Allah, making supplication and praying to Allah, and declaring Allah's greatness and giving charity. Then the Prophet ﷺ in his khutbah began to explain to them some of the major sins, some of the major sins or acts of, of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which cause Allah's anger and which bring about Allah's punishment. He began to clarify to the people, that it is due to their sins that Allah caused this eclipse and therefore he began to explain or to mention some of the major sins that bring about Allah's anger and that would cause his punishment to fall on the people and he made an oath swearing by Allah and he is the most truthful of those who are truthful calling or uh, calling out to his followers he said by Allah there is no one who has more ghayrah than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the case of one of his servants, male or female, who commits fornication. This is a severe act and a major sin and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is angered by such a thing. His ghayrah is evoked by such a thing. Then he made clear also in that khutbah that if the people, if they knew about the punishment of Allah, But they don't know, except little. But if they had known about the punishment of Allah, of Allah, like what he knew, like what Allah taught him and showed him of, of how great and terrible, uh, terrifying that punishment is, then they would have been frightened and had much fear. And they would have laughed little. And they would have cried and grieved and worried and been in distress much. And this is to remind us, that we should take life more seriously and not think that everything is just fun and games and amusement but life is serious and if we are not careful of our obligations to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there is a terrible punishment awaiting those who are disobedient and those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is displeased here the shaykh made dua that Allah save us and protect us from that punishment and grant us his mercy that mercy which overcomes everything and that he grant mercy to our parents and our teachers and our relatives and all of the Muslims, Ameen. Then the Shaykh makes a couple of comments, side comments. The first of them, he says that you may notice in this description of the Salat, the general description that he is giving here, that there are some details which are not mentioned in the Hadith which has been mentioned in the text of the book of Umdut al-Ahkam. And this is because he has taken these details from another report or narration from Aisha radiallahu anha that is present in the Sahihain, the Sahih of Al-Bukhari and the Sahih of Muslim in order to increase the benefit of this explanation or discussion. And this is also uh, part of the minhaj of the scholars of Hadith that when we study Hadith we should always try to collect as much of the Hadith related to a topic together that we may examine where they agree and where some may clarify other points where there is some extra information or something left out 
so that we will get the full picture before making a, a ruling or a judgment. Some people take one hadith and make a ruling on it without considering the other reports which might be available to clarify uh, the single report which they may be looking at. So here the Shaykh has collected some of those narrations and this is what we have suggested to look at those. The section in Sahih al-Bukhari or Sahih Muslim with the other reports which are not mentioned in our brief summarized presentation. Also the Shaykh says, and this is a very important point, that Salat al-Khusuf or Salat al-Khusuf whether it is written with Kha or with Ka it has been reported in a number of different ways. I mean the demonstration or the explanation or description of Salat al-Khusuf has been reported in the books of Hadith in various forms. From amongst them is that it has been reported, we have been commanded to perform Salat al-Khusuf in general without any details given and this is, as has been mentioned in some of the narration of Al-Bukhari where the Prophet said, فَإِذَا رَأَيْتُمُوهَا فَصَلُّوا If you saw the eclipse of the sun and the moon, then pray. Without giving a description of how to pray. He just said pray. Uh, in other narrations, it has been reported that Salat al-Khusuf contains two bowings in the two rakah. Like a normal prayer, only two bowings. One bowing in each rakah. In some of them it has been reported, and that two bowings has been reported in the Sahih of Muslim on the authority of Abdurrahman ibn Samra in Hadith number 1062 on Sahih al-Bukhari, Muslim and, uh, and Muslim now, 1062. It has been also reported as in the Hadith which we have under discussion now as four bowings in the two rakah as reported from Aisha and al-Bukhari and Muslim and also reported in the Sahih on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar and Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum ajma'in. It has also been reported as six bowings in two rakah in the Sahih of Muslim on the authority of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhum and it has also been reported as eight bowings in the two rakah as in the Sahih of Muslim on the authority of Abdullah ibn Abbas and it has also been reported as ten bowings, yeah, five bowings in each rakah, as it has been reported in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood, and Shaykh al-Bani said that that hadith is da'if. But it has also been reported in the Mustadrak of al-Hakim and the Sunnah of al-Bayhaqi on the authority of Ubay ibn Ka'ab. And apparently some of the scholars consider the hadith to be acceptable, Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best. In any case, these are uh, the manners in which it has been reported, most of them has been reported as an authentic hadith in Al-Bukhari or Muslim as two bowings or four bowings or six bowings or eight bowings or ten bowings and the ten bowings, the yani five in each rakah has not been reported in either of the two sahihs in Al-Bukhari or Muslim here the Shaykh says that all of these different descriptions Each of them have been reported in two rakah. Yani that there was two bowings in two rakah, or four bowings in two rakah, or six, or eight, or ten, but only in two rakah. And also that the frustrations in each of these descriptions were only four. Yani even in the time when the ruku was six or eight or ten, but the prostrations were only two prostrations in each rakah. 
then he says, as many of the scholars pointed to, that there is a problem with this matter, and it is that while this prayer, Salat al-Khusuf, has been described in a number of reports in various different manners, the Khusuf or the eclipse of the sun only took place one time in the lifetime of the Prophet And the proof that it only took place one time is the fact that it took place on the occasion of the death of his son Ibrahim. So it only could have taken place one time. It didn't take place any other time. And therefore some of the scholars have, have examined those hadith, although they have what appears to be authentic sahih chains of narration, but some of them have given precedence and superiority to the narration of Aisha, as reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, in which she described the Salat al-Khusuf in two rak'ah with four bowings and four prostrations. They have given preference to this. Many of the Imams, especially the major scholars, who were meticulous in examining the evidences and distinguishing between the hadith which are sahih or otherwise. Uh, <clears throat> some of the scholars said that the descriptions other than that which has been reported from Aisha as four bowings and four prostrations in Turaka that the other reports are unauthentic and from amongst those who said so as reported in Nadal Alpha by Imam al-Shawkani is Imam Ahmed Rahimahullah and Imam al-Shafi'i Rahimahullah and Imam al-Bukhari Rahimahullah all considered that these other narrations though they are contained in the Sahih that they are unacceptable and you can find this in Nadal Alpha volume 3 page 328 Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman also mentions from amongst them Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah that he considered the other narrations to be unacceptable but I didn't have a chance to find out where that reference was I did find the reference from Imam al-Shawkani in Nidl Alta and perhaps in the Majmu al-Fatawa there is some statement concerning this ibn Taymiyyah in agreement with them that the correct and the most reliable narration concerning Salat al-Khusuf is that which has been reported in al-Bukhari and Muslim from Aisha radiallahu anha here the Shaykh mentions that there is difference of opinion amongst the scholars concerning one of the aspects of Salat al-Khusuf and it is the Khutbah the Khutbah that is given with Salat al-Khusuf the scholars differed is this Khutbah mustahab to that it accompany Salat al-Khusuf and the first opinion is the opinion of the Hanafiyyah and the Malikiyyah and the Hanabila who held that it is not mustahab to give a khutbah with Salat al-Khusuf that it is not mustahab the second opinion is the opinion of Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah and Imam Ishaq ibn Rahawai rahimahullah the Shaykh of Bukhari and also many of the people the scholars of hadith they held that it is mustahab to give a khutbah after Salat al-Khusuf and their evidence and their proof is the many narrations of hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ was described as giving a khutbah after having completed the Salat al-Khusuf. There is a third opinion that the Shaykh Abdullah Hafidhullah mentions here and it is, he says, it is the more correct opinion it is the opinion which combines these two opinions, the first two and it is that if there is a need for the khutbah to admonish the people or to remind them or to make clear some matter on that occasion of the khusuf or eclipse 
in that case it is mustahab as the Prophet ﷺ did on the occasion of the khusuf due to the fact that the people imagined that that eclipse took place to the death of his son so he took the occasion to clarify the matter and to rectify their error in thinking but if there is no need to make a khutbah there is no matter that needs to be discussed then he says in that case it is not necessary to make the khutbah and it is sufficient simply to supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after the salat and to make istighfar seeking forgiveness uh, along with the salat yani dua and istighfar and salat without the khutbah here the shaykh mentions concerning this hadith and the hadith following it he mentions these two hadith the ahkam or the rules or laws derived from them together this hadith which we have mentioned and the one which will follow he mentions the ahkam from it here with this hadith and they are so many the first of them is that an eclipse of the sun did in fact take place in the lifetime of the Prophet the second of them is that it is legislated to perform this salat on the occasion of eclipse and the opinion of the majority of the scholars the jamhur is that it is sunnah or sunnah mu'akkada it is the opinion of the majority al-imam abu hanifa al-imam malik al-imam shafi'i rahimahumullah that it is sunnah to perform salat al-khusuf and it is the minority opinion the opinion of imam ahmed rahimahullah that it is obligatory to do so it is the minority opinion and al-imam al-shawkani rahimahullah says that were it not for the report of ijma' or consensus as has been reported by Imam Nawawi rahimahullah and some of the other scholars that there is ijma' or consensus that this salat is sunnah if not for that ijma' he said we would have said that it is obligatory we would have said that it is obligatory but because there is ijma' of the scholars then we that ijma' cancels the indication of it being obligatory and we accept it as being a sunnah practice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam the third point he says is that performing this salat in the way that it has been described in the hadith of Aisha and as the shaykh has explained it here relying on the narration from Umdat al-Ahkam and the other narrations in the Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim that this is the best manner and the preferable manner to perform salat al-khusuf yani a two rakah with four bowings and four prostrations making the bowings long the prostrations long and the standing long and each standing should be shorter than the previous one each bowing shorter than the previous one and each prostration shorter than the previous one number four that it is legislated to make to lengthen the, the standing the bowing and the prostration number five uh, that in every rakah those uh, the length of those bowings and standing and prostrations should be less than the previous one in order to lighten the burden or difficulty or anxiety on the people who are performing the prayer yani each bowing should be shorter than the previous one and each prostration should be shorter than the previous one and so on number six that the beginning of the time for Salat al-Khusuf uh, it is with the beginning of the eclipse once the eclipse actually took place that's when the salat should take place and the end of the time of the salat is with the reappearance of the sun or the moon 
Number seven, that it is legislated to give the khutbah after Salat al-Khusuf if there is a need to do so. If there is a need to, to advise the people or to admonish them or to instruct them in any matter. Number eight, that the khutbah should begin with praising Allah and glorifying Him. And this is more fitting and proper, that the khutbah should begin with praise and glorification as mentioned in some of the narrations. Number nine, clarification that the sun and the moon are two of the universal signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which point to His power and His wisdom. These are signs that point to Allah's qudra, His great power and also the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number ten, the fact that the khusuf uh, takes place in order to put fear into the people and to warn them of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after they have turned away and been neglectful or unmindful of their duties to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number eleven, uh, that this hadith shows us that there is a need to remove from the minds of the people the ignorance in their way of thinking concerning these phenomena in the universe whether eclipse of the sun or the moon or falling stars or any other thing that these things don't take place due to the death or the birth of some important person but these things happen by the will of Allah for some wisdom and from amongst the points of wisdom that we understand as contained in this hadith and other narrations is that it is to wake the people up who have been neglectful or unmindful and to remind them of Allah's favors and to remind them of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those who are disobedient. Number 12, that there is a command in this hadith to make dua and to make salat and to give sadaqah at the time of the occasion of the eclipse of the sun or the moon. Also, that doing these things, these acts of worship, supplicating, salat, sadaqah and so on, that these acts of worship, they are causes or reasons to protect one from the punishment of Allah and from yani, uh, whatever the result would be of one's sin. Yani, whatever sins that we have committed, that we might protect ourselves from those sins by these acts of worship such as dua, supplication of salat or sadaqah. Since the occasion for the eclipse is due to the sins of the people and Allah wants them to turn back to Him in repentance. Number 14, the warning of the Prophet wasallam from fornication and that zina or fornication is one of the major sins for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ghayrah or Allah's anger is provoked due to the violation or due to the falling into such acts of disobedience by the people. Number 15, this is a point of aqidah and it is the fact from this hadith we understand that we should affirm the sifa or the characteristic of al-ghayrah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we should affirm the characteristic of al-ghayrah 
for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that is suitable and fitting to the glory and majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without emptying it of its meaning or reinterpreting it with some false or distorted interpretation without also making any comparison between the ghayra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the ghayra of the creatures, the human beings or otherwise here Imam Muhammad ibn Ali al-Sanani, the great scholar from Yemen uh, who made the explanation of Bulug al-Maram by Al-Hasid ibn Hajar al-Sanani his book Subh al-Salam in that explanation Imam al-Sanani rahimahullah says concerning this point that if any characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been reported either in the Quran or in the Sunnah in which the person might imagine that there is a similarity or comparison between the characteristic of Allah and the characteristic of his creatures such as that which has been reported concerning the sifat of Allah such as him having a hand or an eye or other such characteristics and from amongst those characteristics is al-ghayra al-ghayra the sense of honor or prestige and the anger that is invoked due to the violation of it and in the case of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala due to the violation of his laws he says that these characteristics whenever they are narrated <coughs> and it might lead someone to believe that there is a comparison or similarity between this characteristic as it refers to Allah and the similar characteristic as it refers to the creatures <coughs> he said that the scholars have differed concerning these characteristics and he asked is it necessary for us to believe in it and in fact this opinion is the correct opinion is it necessary for us to believe in these characteristics absolutely without doubt but affirming that there is no similarity or likeness between that characteristic in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a similar characteristic in reference to the creatures <coughs> must we believe in it but while affirming that there is no likeness or negating any likeness between the characteristics of Allah and the characteristics of his, of his creatures and also acknowledging that the kaifiyah or the how or the reality of that characteristic and how it relates to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is known only to him the how of it is known only to him and that we take it on face value as Allah reported it in the Quran or as the Prophet sallallahu reported it in the authentic sunnah we accept it and we affirm it just as it has been reported without making ta'wil, interpretation and without making taqeef, explaining the how of it or asking about the how of it and here Imam Sanani says that this is the madhab of the salaf of this ummah it is the madhab of the early generations of the ummah is the opinion of making re-explaining these characteristics uh, and this is the way he says of the later scholars then he says that the correct opinion is the first opinion that is that we affirm those characteristics as they came in the Quran and Sunnah and accept them on face value without giving them any explanation or interpretation explaining the how of them or making comparisons that this is the correct opinion and it is more right that we should follow, that the believers should follow the first generations of the Muslims, the Sahaba and those who followed in their way. Because no one can know exactly, the, comprehensively, how are the sifat or characteristics of Allah, the reality of them, uh, just as no one <coughs> can know the reality 
or the how of Allah's being. Yani just as we cannot know how is the divine being of Allah, the that of Allah, so also we cannot know how is the divine characteristics of Allah that describe His divine being. <clears throat> so he says that every characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is obligatory on us to believe in it without explaining the how of it or making comparison or making any explanation. Here, Sheikh Abdullah Hafidullah mentions the last two points concerning this hadith. The severity of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for those who disobey him of punishment. The severity of the punishment that Allah has prepared for the people who disobey him. And the severity of it is not known to the people. If they had known how severe it was, it would have caused much fright and fear and terror. That fear, it is beyond, or it is more than the hope. It would be more than the hope that they have in the mercy of Allah. Had they known how severe is Allah's punishment, they would have feared more from Allah's punishment than they had hope from His mercy. And this is necessary due to the fact that the nature of the human being is that they are inclined towards their desires. And the nature of the human being is that they are inclined to do whatever is pleasing to them, even if it's in disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a very serious sickness following our desires. It is a serious sickness, and for this reason, it is a necessity that there be something equal to put fear into the believers from the punishment of Allah in order to help them to restrain themselves from falling into acts of disobedience. Therefore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared a terrible punishment for those who disbelieve, or those who disobey him in order to help the human being to refrain from disobedience and obey him to earn his reward. And the last point the Shaykh says is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given some knowledge and information and insight uh, concerning his punishment to those matters of the unseen. He has allowed the Prophet ﷺ to come to know about them, actually to even see the hellfire and to see the paradise. And this knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed the Prophet ﷺ to come uh, to know about is something that the rest of the people would not be able to bear had they come to know it. So Allah didn't allow us to see or to know about such things, but the Prophet ﷺ gave us a hint when he said, لَوْ تَعْلَمُونَ مَا عَلَمُوا If you all knew what I know, then you would have لَدَحَقْتُمْ قَلِيلًا وَلَبَقِيتُمْ كَثِيرًا you would have laughed little and cried much. The last hadith uh, of this chapter is hadith number 146, the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ashari radiallahu anhu. He said, خَصَفَتِ الشَّمْسِ عَلَى زَمَانِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ That the sun was eclipsed in the time of the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم فَقَامَ فَزْعًا يَخْشَى أَن تَكُونَ السَّعَةِ So he stood up and hastened in great anxiety for fearing that that eclipse might be a sign of the hour of judgment. حَتَّى أَتَاءَ الْمَسْجِدِ فَقَامَ فَصَلَّى بِأَتْوَلِ كِيَامٍ وَرُكُوعٍ وَسُجُودٍ مَا رَأَيْتُهُ يَفَعَلُهُ فِي صَلَاةٍ قَطْرٍ He said that he stood up, he came to the Master and he stood up and prayed, led the people in prayer with the longest standing and the longest bowing and the longest prostration that I had ever seen him do. ثُمَّ قَالَ And after that prayer he said, إِنَّ هَذِهِ الْآيَاتِ التي يرسلها 
الله تعالى لا تكون لموت أحد ولا لحياته ولكن الله يرسلها يخوف بها إباده الذيز فاين which Allah sends they are not due to the death of anyone nor to the birth of anyone but in fact Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends them to put fear into his servant فَإِذَا رَأَيْتُمْ مِنْهَا شَيْئًا فَذْفَعُوا إِلَى ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَدُعَائِهِ وَإِسْتِغْفَارِهِ So if any one of you sees any of these signs then he should hasten seeking refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by remembrance of him ذِكْر and du'a supplicating him and istighfar seeking his forgiveness here the shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith that it was from the habit of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when there was any change in the universal order of things whether it was strong winds or thunder roaring thunder or eclipse of the sun or the moon this always caused a great fear to overcome him from the punishment of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that had befallen the previous nations the prophet sallallahu feared that perhaps his nation also would be punished by such such things as the previous nations were punished uh, just as some of them were punished by thunderbolts by strong winds or by floods for this reason when the eclipse of the sun took place the prophet sallallahu hastily got up due to his perfect knowledge of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that forced him to have much fear and to consider and to think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every condition so he entered the masjid and he led the people in salatul khusuf the eclipse prayer and he made in that prayer yani the prayer in a very very lengthy manner the standing and bowing and prostration in a way that they had never seen him do it before and this was his manifestation of showing to the people the desire to make tawbah and al-inaba to abandon that they should abandon their sins and more than that they should abandon their sins and turn back to Allah with acts of obedience tawbah and al-inaba here the shaykh said when the prophet finished calling on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in prayer and supplication then he turned to the people and he gave them admonishment and he clarified to them that these were the signs which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends as a warning and a lesson to his servants to remind them to remind them and also to put fear in them and to cause them to hasten to supplicate to him to seek his forgiveness to remember him and to perform salat finally the shaykh says that the ahkam or the rules of the laws from this hadith have already been mentioned in the previous hadith but here he mentions in summary a statement from al-imam ibn diqiq al-aid from his explanation of amdat al-ahkam which we are sometimes referring to the broad explanation of Imam Ibn Daqiq in which he said that the Prophet hastening to the Salat it was an indication or an indirect indication of the need to hasten to fulfill the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yeah, and when he saw the khusuf he hastened to do that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to do turning back to him and it was also to call to our attention the need to seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the time of frightful event by supplicating to him and making istighfar in the case of any frightful event we should supplicate to Allah and we should ask Allah's forgiveness for our sins and also in this hastening of the Prophet is an indication that sin are the cause of calamities and tests and trials and the punishment which comes upon us in this world or the punishment that will come upon us in the next life it is due to sins 
Therefore, we should seek Allah's forgiveness and repent to him when we see these signs as a reminder to us. And also, there's an indication in this of seeking forgiveness and repenting to Allah, the istighfar and tawbah, that they are two causes for the removal of our sins. And they are also causes of those frightful things or fearful things that may happen by Allah's decree. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. This is the end of this chapter. If there are any comments or questions or corrections, I think there is some time remaining before the event. <coughs> Okay, there's also a hadith mentioned here that we mentioned amongst those extra hadith and it wasn't mentioned in the book but it is important, it's related to one of the issues it is the issue of whether or not the Salat uh, al should be performed out loud the majority opinion is that Salat al should be performed uh, in a low tone but the minority opinion is that it should be performed uh, out loud and this is the more correct opinion as mentioned in the hadith reported by Al-Bukhari from Aisha radiallahu anha that the Prophet recited the Qur'an out loud during the eclipse prayer and when he finished from his recitation he said takbir and bowed uh, and then on to the end of the hadith yani, amongst the scholars who took this hadith was Ibn Qayyim he said that the most correct opinion of the opinions of the scholars concerning the recitation in Salat al-Khusuf is that it should be recited out loud Aisha radiallahu anha said that the Prophet jahara bi kira'atihi that he made his recitation out loud although some of the scholars based on the fact that uh, some of the narrations hint at or suggest that the prayer was long but there was no mention of what he recited in that prayer but what was mentioned was the length of the time was like the length of reciting Surah Al-Baqarah and in some of the narrations Imam Shawkani said that in the second standing he recited equal to the length of Ali Imran this suggests to some of the scholars that he didn't recite out loud but the most correct opinion and it is also the opinion of Az-Zuhri one of the greatest scholars the Imam of the Tabi'een and Al-Imam al-Bukhari mentions his opinion that based on the hadith of Aisha the most correct opinion is that Salat al-Khusuf the recitation in it should be out loud questions from the sisters regarding the supplication and the, the supplication and the Quran for the first and second PM are there any variation <coughs> there's variation if you mean in time uh, Naam the recitation of Quran it is shorter in each following standing yeah, I mean the first standing is the longest and the one following it is shorter the first bowing is the longest and the second bowing is shorter and so also the prostration how about the Fatiha is it recited for both PM uh, it is recited the Al-Fatiha is as in the normal Salat Al-Fatiha is to be recited in every rakah of every prayer for the female who is unable to join the congregation of prayer in the masjid can she pray at home alone for, the partic- for these particular prayers it seems as though the female can pray alone in a home for these particular prayers it is suggested in a hadith that's reported in the Sahih of Muslim or the Sahih of Al-Bukhari I don't recall but it is authentic hadith and that hadith is reported from Asma bint Abi Bakr radiallahu anha the sister of Aisha she said that she came to Aisha and asked her what are the people doing what is happening and Aisha was standing in prayer she wasn't in the masjid with the people 
and she simply pointed up to the sky. And Asma radiallahu anha looked up to the sky and said, is it something, يعني, what is happening? Is it a sign of something? And she nodded, yes it is. And she continued praying and then Asma also joined in the prayer. This hadith is an indication that apparently not all of the people were in the masjid with the Prophet sallallahu and perhaps, and Allah knows best, if a woman cannot go to the masjid for some reason, yani she's not able to go alone due to whatever reason, then may she pray at home and join in this congregation prayer, inshallah, which is permissible, and Allah knows best. Uh, any comments from the brothers? This is the end of the question of the sisters. Hmm. Is it right to say that if an eclipse took place in a particular area, that, that area is being won by Allah? Allahu Alam. I don't know. But uh, for sure, it, it will be more impressive on those people who actually yani, witness it. Yani, the people that, the, that, that uh, experienced the earthquake would be more terrified than those who only saw it on television. But those who have Iman and who know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and know the rights of Allah over us and the neglect and the heedlessness of the people when they see the earthquake even from far away they will take heed to it and they will also be frightened because they will know that just as Allah caused the earthquake there He can also make one here it is easy for Allah so whoever actually experienced it firsthand obviously they would be more frightened it is natural that they would be but it doesn't mean that Allah is not also warning the rest of the people who came to know about it. If we came to know about the earthquake, thousands of people are being killed in a, in a country far from us. Shouldn't it also wake us up and make us to come back and turn back to Allah? That perhaps as Allah has punished those people, it might be a help, a mercy from Him that He punished them first as a warning before He punished us so that we could take heed. So we can't say necessarily that the people who experience any of these phenomena, that it is exclusively for them. But obviously, the people who are subjected to it يعني, would be more affected by it. And Allah knows best. Uh, Idris? Allah <laughs> But anyway, we, can, we know that there are many uh, other dhikr that are recorded in the sunnah not only subhanallah subhanallah subhana rabbi al-ala subhana rabbi al-azim is not only recorded in the sunnah so it is possible that a person may repeat a particular dhikr or they may repeat other azkar although there is difference of opinion concerning this matter but some of the scholars such as Imam Nawawi even said in the normal prayer that if a person combines the azkar there is no harm in doing so so what about in such a prayer that the Prophet ﷺ is bowing similar to the length that he stood and he stood equal to the length of reciting Surah Al-Baqarah then what is the person doing in that bow? Obviously he is repeating the dhikr so many times Sayyid I think that's the azan